Thank you for tuning in to Pastor Brian Hallam's podcast series. For more information on Pastor Brian and New Heights Church, please visit www.newheightschurch.info. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, like I said, maybe we should call this Truth Sunday because we're going to just speak a lot of simple biblical truths this Sunday. This is going to be one of those days where you get an answer. But it might be one of those days you didn't like the answer you get. <laughs> how many of you would like, and by a show of hands, how many of you would like to be closer to God in 2014? How many of you would like to know the will of God for your life in 2014? Amen. Okay, you don't have to lift your hands anymore. That's pretty much everybody. But the bottom line is everybody in the kingdom is trying to get closer to God. And if you go to Barnes and Nobles or Lifeway or somewhere else, you can find a plethora of books about how to have this life and how to have that life. And listen, I'm a reader. I love to read. I, I do the books. I listen to books. I do the podcasts. I just, I love information. You know, I love people that love the Lord. I love people that write that love the Lord. But the bottom line is, is the Bible is really all you need if you can just read it and get in it. That's not to say don't read other books. I know plenty of people who do not read other books. For instance, Smith Wigglesworth, he wouldn't allow any other literature in his home except for the Bible. Lester Summerall went to his house one time and he made him stand outside and leave the newspaper outside instead of bringing the newspaper into his house. But the bottom line is, is there's all kind of new ideas and, and new thoughts on how to get closer to God and how to overcome this and how to overcome that. But the bottom line is the Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. He's not a man that he should lie. He does not slumber, nor does he sleep. He is not idle on your behalf. He is God. He is Jehovah. He's the great I am. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's soon returning. These are the things that he is and he changes not out of them. So the idea that there is a new philosophy on how to get closer to him is hogwash. Can you say hogwash in church? Anyways, it's not to say that there's bad information out there because again, I love the books. I read them. I love it. But what I'm trying to tell you is God hasn't changed. He has principles. He has precepts. He has uh, uh, philosophies. He has ideas. He has moral codes. He has moral judgment that's been inscribed on the inside of your heart. He's got all these different things to try to teach you how to get to the life more abundant, which is what Jesus paid for. But everybody wants to try to water it down and try to figure out a way that we can get around the simple, basic philosophies that are found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all the way through Revelation. It gets to a place where you're trying to figure out, what am I going to do in God? What am I not going to do in God? When really, all you have to do is what He said do. If you'll determine in 2014 that this is the year that I'm just going to obey God's Word and let the chips fall where they may, you'll find out December 31st, 2014, that your life will be so good that you won't even be able to recognize what it was in January 2014. He doesn't change. His precepts don't change. His thoughts don't change. His ideas don't change. His, his intentions don't change. Everything we talk about at this church, we have an ulterior motive. It's to get people born again and filled with the Spirit of God. We talk about His kingdom in a way that's attractive so that people have the opportunity to hear the good news of the gospel of Christ so that they can say yes to Jesus and then, begin a, then to begin a life that is kingdom-minded instead of self-minded. 
This is what he's about. He didn't, he didn't come here and go, okay, I'm going to down across and I'm going to change everything. He changed your access. He didn't change who he is. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today. And he's the same forever. If you have your Bible open to Matthew chapter number three, if you remember, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth had a boy named John, and he's called John the Baptist, and he's the guy who prepares the way of the Lord. And the Bible says it this way, that he was a preacher that wore camel hair uh, clothing, he ate locusts and all kind of stuff, and he just preached a, a, a new idea, but it really wasn't new, it's just people had gone so far away from it, they'd gotten so addicted to the pomp and circumstance of religion that they stopped looking at the fact that God wants one thing and one thing only, your whole heart. He wants you to live for Him. He wants you to live with Him. He wants you to trust His Word. He wants you to believe His Word. He wants you to constantly move towards the things of God and not away from the things of God. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 3, it says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, the kingdom of God, the kingdom is at hand. He said a big word there, repent. Now, we can get all kind of different definitions of repent. But if we just look real simple, uh, the Greek word is the word metanoe. And it simply means to think differently. It means to change your mind when it comes to how you think. It means to get your mind in line with the kingdom It means to get your mind focused on the Word of God. It means when you hear all the nonsense that the world's spitting and all the doubt that the devil's trying to put in your mind, that you change your mind away from it. See, here's the deal. You're not responsible for the first thought that comes in your mind. But you are responsible for every subsequent thought. The Bible says that we are to cast down vain imaginations. The Bible says that we are to take every thought into captivity. And that word there means violently arrest every thought. When the enemy begins to speak to you in a way that says 2014, it's going to be the same as 2013, going to be the same as 2012, you weren't good enough then, you're not good enough now, you arrest that thought and you say, no, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You begin to repent. You begin to change your mind because the kingdom is at hand. The Word of God says it this way. The latter house will be greater than the former house. This year is going to be better than last year. And we declare it. And if December 31st of 2014 gets here and we haven't seen it yet, at 1159, we're still going to be saying 2014 is going to be better than 2013. Because we're not like the world. We're not, a thermo- we're not a thermometer. See, a thermometer tells you what the temperature is in a current environment. We are called to be thermostats. We're called to adjust the temperature in the environment. We're called to adjust the situation. We're called to change things. We're called to speak of that which is not as if it were. We're called to be the people that make a change in this world and not just talk about what the world's changing on us. We're called to be different. We're called to be set apart. We're called to be sanctified. We're called to be justified. We're called to change our mind. When we hear the Word of God, we respond to the Word of God. When we hear the voice of God, we respond to the voice of God. When we see the Word of God, we respond to the Word of God. The Word of God is the one thing in your life that ought to be the standard and everything else can fluctuate. 
You might wake up one day in a good mood. You might wake up one day in a bad mood. But that ought, that ought not change your confession. Your confession ought to be, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. And you ought to say it until your flesh lines up. Think about it like this. You're a three-part being. You are a spirit, okay, that lives in a body, which would be considered your flesh. And then you have a soul. That's your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now, when you become a Christian, your spirit is reborn, and you are a new creature in Christ Jesus, and you are then sanctified on the spiritual side of things. What you have on the other side is you have your flesh over here, which is at enmity with God, which means it's always warring with God. And then on the other side, you have your you have the, the, the spirit here, and then right here in the middle, you've got your soul, And it's swinging from side to side. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. So you've got this this spirit, this soul right here that's going and saying, Well, I don't feel so good. My flesh wants me to just talk about how bad everything is. Then you start leaning this way. And then you start leaning back the other way. Because you remember what the Bible says. It says, Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And you've got to constantly get yourself leaning towards the things of the spirit instead of things of uh, of the flesh. Now, if you can do that in 2014, what will happen is you'll begin to change your mind. If you have your Bible open to Romans chapter number 12, Romans chapter number 12. We're not going to teach long, but we're going to try to teach good. Romans chapter number 12 says it like this. I beseech you, which means I encourage you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable service. Let me tell you what he did for you. He didn't do one thing wrong. And he willingly walked into Jerusalem. He willingly was arrested. He willingly was beaten, battered, bruised, grabbed an old rugged cross, drug it up a rock hill, climbed on it, said, nail me to it, and died for you. It is your reasonable service to present your life as a living sacrifice for the one who gave a dying sacrifice. It is your reasonable sacrifice. This is not something that's unreasonable. If God said to us every day, He said, the first thing you gotta do is take a little, uh, a ten penny nail and drive it through your hand to show that you love me, that would be reasonable. If He says every day you've gotta swim across the river five times, that would be reasonable because the bottom line is, is you have eternity with Him because of the price that He paid. But the bottom line is He didn't ask any of those things. He said, I wish that you would present your body as a living sacrifice. The word present means to give over to somebody for their will. It's the same word that that was used when Mary and Joseph brought baby Jesus to Jerusalem after he was born and laid him down in the temple and said, We give him to you, God, you who gave him to us. The same God who breathed life into your lungs is the same God who wants you to present your body as a living sacrifice. And here's a word you don't hear very often in church. Holy. Stop rolling with the pigs and thinking God's fixing to bless you out of it. You've got to change your mind if you want your circumstances to change around you. Is anybody glad they came to church this morning on Truth Sunday in 2014? Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
There is nothing unreasonable about living for God. He hasn't asked you to do anything that His Son has not already done. He's not asking you to endure anything that His Son did not already endure. This is your reasonable service. Holy. Acceptable. Verse number 2. And be not conformed. Do not take the image of this world. To be conformed would be to emulate, to be to act like somebody else. It would be to, 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 to see somebody and, and say, well, they wear uh, orange shirts, I'm going to wear orange shirts. That's what being conformed would be. But it says, be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That you may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That you may prove what is good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. We're not supposed to look like the world. We're not supposed to talk like the world. We're not supposed to act like the world. I hope you didn't just come to church today to hear somebody talk about New Year's resolutions. We're here to talk about kingdom stuff. And here's what he said. He said, be not conformed, but be ye transformed. Don't emulate the world, but be ye transformed. The word transformed in the Greek is the word metamorpho, which is the word we get metamorphosized, which is to say become something different. The Bible says it's the same way that Jesus was identified whenever he was on the Mount of Transfiguration where he took Peter, James, and John when he said, come with me, I want you to meet some guys. And he walks up there and there's Moses and Elijah and they're all glowing with the anointing. And Peter, James, and John are freaking out like, oh man, what are we going to do? We're going to build some temples here. But the Bible says that Jesus metamorphosed. He was transformed at the Mount of Transfiguration. You and me are, are called to be transformed where the glory of God resides off of us and people start going, I want to be like you. Why? Because you got the joy of the Lord. Why? Because when bad news comes, you somehow walk in a peace that passes all understanding. Why? Because your kids are good kids. They're kind kids. They're loving kids. They love the Lord. They live for God. You live for God. Your house is clean. Your ways are clean. You are holy and acceptable unto God. Not because of anything you're capable of, but because of the blood of Jesus. And you're called to not be conformed to this world, but you're called to be metamorphosized into who He wants you to be. Can we change for God in 2014? Can we just decide I'm not just going to kick the can down the road in 2014? Can we just decide that my family is not going to look anything like it looks today at the end of 2014? Can we just change our mind? Can we just switch it? Can we just say if the devil goes this way, I'm going this way? Can we just say if somebody gets on a stage and twerks or jerks or whatever, that I'm not going to agree with it and I'm not going to stand for it in my house? Can we just agree that we're going to be holy? Can we just agree that it's a reasonable service to present your body as a living sacrifice to the one who presented him as a dying sacrifice? Can we just declare that in 2014, we are going to renew our minds? The greatest battlefield you have is between your ears. Every good thing that's ever come out of your mouth, you thought it first. 
Every bad thing that came out of your mouth, you thought it first. Every poor decision you made, you thought it first. Every fear that you have, you thought it first. I remember one time, we, when I was young, we bought this house. And I was probably, I don't know, I was young. Five, six, something like that. And, and I, we knew the family that was there. And I got a... Um, I got one of the guys' rooms. He was about 14 years old or so. And he was, he was, we were good friends, family friends and all. But this guy was crazy, man. Crazy. And, and, and he sits there and I'm like, man, he goes, hey, so you're getting my room, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm a little kid, you know, I'm just happy as a lark, you know, just woohoo, you know, everything's great. I got my own room, you know, I never had my own room before. I just had my own room. And he walks in, his name was Eric. I hope he listens to this. His name was Eric. And, and he, he says to me, he says, yeah, man, it's a great room. You're going to love it. You know, got windows here. Got this right here. It's just a great room, man. He says, only one problem. I said, what? He goes, tapped on the closet door. He goes, the devil lives in the closet. <laughs> and I went, what? <laughs> you know, I'm like five, six years old, you know. All I knew about the devil is you rebuke him. You know what I'm saying? My parents taught us well. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, man, seriously. He just comes out of the floor at night. And he gave this, he gave this description that would make, you know, a horror movie look like a joke, you know, to a six-year-old or however old I was. I was like, oh, my gosh. Well, I've already told the story. I'll keep going. So <laughs> I had an older brother named Douglas, who's a pastor out in Austin right now. I hope he listens to this, too. And he, he would, at nighttime... He would come by my room and I would, every night I made sure that that closet door was shut. And sometimes I'd even put something in front of it, you know, make sure the devil didn't come out of that closet door while I'm sleeping. And my brother, he'd come in and go, hey, Brian, you asleep? I'd be asleep. He'd wake me up. He'd go, he'd go, good night. And he'd, he'd open that closet door and walk out because <laughs> I told him about it. I said, man, I said, Eric told me this, whatever. But the bottom line was, is I'd never been scared of anything in my life. And somebody put a thought in my mind. And I slept scared until one night. Let me tell you what I did. Because my parents, they were no nonsense when it comes to being scared. I teach my children the same way. We're not scared of anything by faith. We speak of things that are not as what they were. It's what we talk. It's how we talk. We don't talk negative. We talk positive. We don't talk anti-God. We talk in line with God's Word. And one night I was laying there so scared. And I remembered what the Bible said. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. So I got out of that bed. I didn't turn a single light on. I went in the closet and I shut the door. I said, he's either here or he's not. But I'm not going to be scared of anything. And I sat in that room until I felt the spirit of fear leave me. And went back to my bed and slept like a baby the rest of the time we owned that house. But the bottom line is, the fear began with a thought. You have to guard your mind. You have to protect your mind. And when the fiery darts begin to come in and you feel them, you have to be diligent to change your mind. John the Baptist said, change your mind. The Apostle Paul said, renew your mind. You've got to get to the place where you do not allow your mind to control your whole uh, 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 life. But rather the Word of God to control your life. If you have your Bibles, let's turn over to one more and then we'll finish up. Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. 
The Bible says it this way in verse number one. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience, which is actually the word perseverance. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed, we are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses. The word witnesses is the word martyrs. And some people believe that it's literally that we are surrounded, that the people who have died in faith literally can see us and are surrounding us, like rooting us on. Some people believe that real strong. Others believe that it's a, it's a figurative depiction of, 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 you know, so many people. Like, for instance, they got a movie coming out uh, soon called Lone Survivor. It's about a Navy SEAL where his, his whole unit dies and his, his entire life, he's, he's a, really a unique guy. I know, I know some of his family. Anyway, uh, he, his whole life is dedicated to not letting the lives of his fallen brothers be forgotten. So that would be kind of the figurative idea that I don't want to let the sacrifice that my brothers made be laid aside and forgotten. Therefore, I'm going to make sure everybody remembers what kind of heroes they are. So Paul could be writing like that. You see what I'm saying? He could be writing it that way where it's like, uh, guys, so many people have died for this. We got to make sure that we don't fall short of the mark. We got to make sure that we press. The other side is maybe there is a portal in heaven. I don't know, to be honest with you. If I get the revelation on it, I'll let you know directly. But the bottom line is, is there are lots and lots, thousands, millions of people who've died in faith. And you and me ought to live our lives with respect to the fact that millions of people were killed so that you and I could have access to the Bible. Access to the good news of the gospel. And here's what he says to do about it. He says, because we're surrounded by such a great cloud, such a multitude of people who've died in faith, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us lay aside every weight. You see, everything in your life that's, that's not necessarily bringing you closer to God, that's not bringing you closer to God, is not necessarily sin. Meaning, it's probably not sin to watch... I'll give you an example. I'm not saying... You know, you, you work it out with yourself. But Discovery Channel, watching, say for instance, Shark Week. Probably not a sin to watch Shark Week. Matter of fact, I'm in trouble if it is. But if you watch Shark Week 23 out of the 24 hours of the day, and then you go give your wife a kiss and your kids a slap on the back, then you go to bed. That weight... Is slowing you down. I'll say it in another way. If you're playing golf 13 times a week and your kids don't know your name and you don't know their name, then I would wonder is golf a weight? And I'm not saying golf's bad. I love golf. I play golf. I'm just saying there's a difference between sin and some of the weights that so easily beset us. Let me give you another example. I, when I was little, uh, I remember one time we were playing at a, at a park behind, behind the elementary school. Loved to play there. 
and had a big field and stuff. And we, we were about leaving, and we were walking out to the truck and had a long way and probably had a cooler dragging the sandwiches and the Cokes and stuff like that. And Mom and Dad were there, and I see this pit bull coming. I'm talking about a pit bull, not a maybe a pit bull, not a kind of a pit bull. I'm talking, you know, head that big, you know, just coming, walking like he owned the place. And he probably did, and I was happy to give it to him. So I'm walking out of there, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, and I'm looking because, you know, the way it was in my family, I had three, I had two brothers, I'm one of three boys, so anytime we were going anywhere, dad would say, go to the truck. That means it's a race to the truck. So I'm running, and I'm, I'm, I'm out running my other brothers because, you know, I just beat them everywhere. No, I'm just kidding. I'm trying to get to the truck, all of a sudden there's a pit bull, man, he changed my plans. I thought, whoa, I don't want that dog to get me. And as he got closer, I realized, well, he's just walking. And as he got a little bit closer, I said, man, that dog is in a bind. And he was walking like this. And then I saw that they had this huge thing on his neck. And he was dragging this big, uh, 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 like a big bolt, big, big, huge piece of metal, that, that big. It's probably four or five feet long. Think the, the thing probably weighed 200, 300 pounds that he was dragging. And he was just dragging it. I mean, he could barely take a step, so I guess they were training him. Maybe he was a fighting dog. I don't know. You know, it wasn't that good of a neighborhood. It might have been a fighting dog. So he's walking along, and I'm just like, huh. But as soon as I saw that that dog was weighted down, I wasn't scared at all. I even got a little bit closer because, you know, he was an impressive dog. I was like, wow, that's the biggest dog I've ever seen. Look at that thing. But I had no fear because of how weighted down he was. And see, that's you and me. We, we may not be in sin, but we might just be weighed down thereby become less effective for the kingdom. So are you weighed down with things and the devil's going, oh, I'm not worried about him. He's going to watch Shark Week for 27 hours. Oh, I'm not worried about her. She's going to talk to her friends for 35 hours a day on the text message, pop, 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 instead of praying ever. I'm not worried about her. The scripture says, let's lay aside the weights that beset us. Beset means this. It means to cling to or to be surrounded by. Uh, One translation would be like to be studded like with jewels. So if my my jacket here was bejeweled, you remember those things, the bedazzled, bang, 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 which I probably should do anyway. It would look good. Then it would be beset with jewels. So what happens is, is, is the things, the weights, and the, and the sin, the Bible says, it gets stuck all over us. And that's why whenever you finally give in, and you finally decide to do the things you've been tempted to do, and you think, oh, I'm just going to do it this one time, you go to bed thinking about it, you wake up thinking about it, you can't eat lunch because you're thinking about it, because it's stuck to you. That's what happens. So 2014... Let's just determine that we are going to lay aside the things that are holding us back. You're called to be a pit bull for the kingdom of God. And you ought to be let go to run your race. Not loaded down carrying things. You know, there's places you're going to go in this kingdom. 
you've got to be able to run to get there. And if you're weighted down all the time, sometimes it's just, you know, you make yourself too busy. Hey, like, oh, I want to be in the house of God. I want to, you know, uh, volunteer more. I want to do this. I want to pray for my neighbor. But, but I've just got this, 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 this. Well, quit being so busy. You know what yesterday was like? If you didn't like it, make a change. Change your mind. It will change your world. It's that simple. Verse 2. How do you do that? How do we change our mind? Looking unto Jesus. Solely focused on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Tells us in verse 1 that we should with perseverance, patience, the race that's set before us, we ought to run it. And for him it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Meaning your life was set before him. And for the joy of being able to have you in relationship for all eternity, he endured The cross, despising shame. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. It's very interesting in the Greek there. Very interesting. Very interesting. It's actually Hebrew at one point. But it says, looking unto Jesus. And if we really took it back, it would say, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. Does anybody have a King James Bible they're looking at? Do you see where it says, put it on the thing, see where it says our right there? In King James, that, that, that word our would be uh, uh, italics, you know, kind of leaned over. At any time in the King James Bible where you see it leaned over in italics, that's a word that the interpreters added because they thought it would make more sense to the person reading it. So really what it would say there if we were reading it, it says, right now it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. But really if you read it the way it was written, it says, as looking unto Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. Of faith, period. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He's the beginning of it all. He's the perfecter of it. He came, put on an earth suit for you and for me, lived 33 years here before he bled and died on a cross so that you and I could see how to live by faith. How do you live by faith? You're found in places ministering to people. How to live by faith? You're teaching people what you know about the Word of God. How to live by faith? When somebody brings you bad news, you knee-jerk good news. My daughter's sick. I'll come heal her. My daughter's this. I'll come raise her from the dead. We're out of wine. Just bring me some water. He was full of good news. So you and me, how do we change our mind? How do we renew our mind? You stay solely focused on the author and finisher of faith. He's not a kind of, he's not a maybe. In 2014, live for God. Do it unashamed. Try it out. It feels so good. I got a friend of mine tells me a story about whenever he first really got saved, started living for God, and he would see his brother, he'd be, he'd be walking around drinking a beer, right? 
county fairs and stuff like that. And he'd see his brothers, his Christian brother walking. He'd be like, oh, you know, how you doing? Bless God, you know. Kind of a funny story. It doesn't have to be beer. I don't care. Telling dirty jokes. Talking bad about your wife. Talking bad about your boss. Talking bad about some preacher you saw on TV. And then all of a sudden another Christian walks around and you're like, oh, bless God, brother. Have a blessed day. Let's just do it for real this year. Can this just be truth Sunday? The year that we just determine we're going to change our mind and see God move in 2014. Let's give God a hand of praise. He's so good to us. Stand to your feet if you would, please. Thank you for listening. For more information on Pastor Brian and New Heights Church, please visit www.newheightschurch.info. 